Pop and Schlock on 90.1 KPFT, Channel HD3. I am your co-host, Meredith Nudo. And this is Jay Goodson-Dodd, author, writer, and generally sleepy guy. A.K.A. Jake for brevity's sake. Yeah, this time you got to say the rhyme. I know, I'm so excited. I'm going to dream about this day. <laughs> for a long time to come. Life. Today we are going to be talking about Annihilation, Alex Garland's second movie starring Natalie Portman and a giant shimmery bubble. But first, uh, I would like to apologize for some of the things that I said on the air about two episodes ago when we were discussing science fiction. Uh, I had uh, recommended A Ghost Story, which stars Casey Affleck, a man who has been accused of multiple sexual assaults. Uh, For me to have brought that up uh, was very insensitive to the victims. We, We strive to be... Uh, a supportive and inclusive environment on this show and for me to have done that betrayed our values so I'd like to apologize for that it's something we would like to be more cognizant of moving forward yeah and I I think that a lot of it just comes from our tendency to embrace the idea of the uh, like death of the author style criticism where we try to distance ourselves from the people who make the media that we consume but at the same time I feel like it's good that we put that disclaimer out there that um, if you do have a problem with that sort of person being involved in the thing that you're watching then that's definitely not something that you want to embrace Um, so we would like to apologize for mentioning that I would also like to apologize for my comments about um, what was his name Uh, wow I forgot. Uh, um, Racer X. What was his Racer X from... Uh, oh, your, yes. uh, the, the whitewashing yes, controversy I, on uh, Speed Racer yes, saying I, that Matthew Fox was good. Right, yes. I, I apologize for my role in, uh, in perpetuating whitewashing. That was also wrong of me. Like I said, we are trying to create an inclusive environment here, and I uh, was not doing so. Yeah. So moving forward, the both of us are going to be much more cognizant of that fact. We'd like to apologize to our viewers. Or yeah, not d- viewers, our listeners. We're off to a great start today, yes. aren't we, Meredith? All right. So uh, Hey, you know, we could be we could be Facebook living this. We could be. We could be. But uh, we're not. But we're not. Until I get uh, a better setup, we're not going to. Um anyway, yep, we are going to be talking about Annihilation, a film that approximately 7 people have seen. So this one should be great. But I I do want to go ahead before we get too deep into it, explain that this episode will probably be more spoiler heavy than most, simply because discussing this film without getting into specifics is probably uh more difficult than you would imagine. But we'll not only be spoiling the movie, we'll be spoiling the book. Yeah, but probably only the first book because uh Meredith has still not read the rest of the series, whereas I finished the entire trilogy today and uh, my mind is still recovering from it. Um, We can tell. Yeah. It's okay. My mind is still recovering from the movie, which is why I'm flubbing all my lines. As if this is scripted. You mean it's not? (laughs) It would be a much better show if it was. Um, As I said to the uh, talented improv 
actor sitting very close to me. All right. I'm so, obviously flipping through my script right now. No, I'm, I'm flipping through my notes because I've tried to get better about taking notes. Um, so I want to talk about some of the main differences between the film and the book, which I'm... I gave the book a full, flat-out five-star rating simply because I felt like it was one of the stronger written pieces of science fiction that I've read in a very, very long time. Um, the book did win more than a few awards back in 2014 when it first came out. Um, Jeff Vandermeer's prose is slightly poetic at times, but the construction of, and his phrasing really got to me, and I found it to be very, very well written. Aside. And aside from that, I also appreciated the fact that it let the mystery and the sort of development of the unknown of the actual narrative envelop you until close to the climax of the book. I liked how vague and how uh, he kept you in the dark throughout the, the whole of the book until the end whenever they started to kind of backtrack some things and fill in the blanks. And So what you're saying is it's a, it was a near impossible movie to actually translate. Yeah, it is. It's yeah. a very much a... It's, I don't want to use the word unfilmable because that word gets thrown around quite a bit. And I feel like a lot of the themes that are present in the book and in the series itself were translated very, very well by Alex Garland into a film. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that Alex Garland is himself an author, which translates into the way that he approaches film. Uh, the one thing that I loved about the book is that you... Uh, you don't realize that the biologist, and in, in the book, one of the major takeaways is that nobody has a name. They're only referred to by their function on the expedition. There's the biologist, the linguist, the anthropologist, the psychologist. It's, it's basically their function on the team. And it's given through the same point of view. We have the point of view character of the biologist who's played by Natalie Portman in the film. But in the novelization or in the novel, um, she comes across as being... Um, earnest and antisocial, but we learn throughout the course of the book that she is an unreliable narrator. And we're never given any inkling that she has been keeping information from us because she is our point of view character until we get sort of a major information drop in the third act of the book, which I thought to be really sort of it was an oddball choice, and it was a very it was a very strong choice by a writer who knew what they were doing what they were doing when they wrote it. Um, the second book goes in a completely different direction, and it's we're already under the assumption that everything that we know is maybe not everything that we know, and so the mystery there is based off of trying to figure out who's lying and about what and when which makes it uh, maybe a more compelling mystery, but also one of the more, it's the most frustrating chapter of the series where the third book in the series, um, Acceptance, which I read today, is told through um, three separate timelines all converging to fill in the gaps of what the story surrounding Area X really is. And, you know, we've talked at length in this show about what, uh, what sci-fi can do, what sci-fi should do, and I'm of the mind that, you know, sci-fi doesn't always have to be serious, or sci-fi doesn't always have to be trying to make some sort of resonant point, but the things that I enjoyed about both the novel and the film is that they did have a thematic through line that they were seeking to achieve, and they did so by following through with a very consistent tone that permeated every inch, every inch of the work. Yeah. No, you're right. I I actually think it's kind of unfair to really compare 
the book and the movie because they're both such separate stories they and are. they both work so well within their own medium. I had I had my moments where I wanted to grab Annihilation and shake it. Uh, it, it was, we'll talk about this later, but it, it was a very frustrating movie in some ways, but I didn't want to be like, why aren't you more like the book? Because I don't feel, I, I, I agree with you. I don't, I wouldn't say unfilmable, but so much of what the the prose does is that it's from only one person's perspective. It's from an unreliable narrator's vantage point, which is difficult to do in a, in a film. And the prose is, is a very interesting mix of like, just to, to, uh, to build off what you had said about poetics. There is a poeticness to it, but there's also an extremely scientific distance in the writing as well. There is, and one of the things that I also found really interesting about the book is that so much of it is oddly internal. It's talking about, like, an internal sense of feeling and almost an internal sense of dread that doesn't really propel the narrative so much as it does explain how a person deals with being within a certain plot point. Right. I mean, it kind of reminds me of, uh, obviously not in theme, tone, character, story, anything, uh, but a confederacy of dunces. And mm -hmm. that the reason why confederacy of dunces has never been adapted is because so much of it is about Ignatius Riley's internal struggles. Right. However bizarre and comedic and surrealist they may be, which wouldn't translate well to the screen. Yeah. So I feel like what Alex Garland did, and I think it was the smart choice with regard to this film, was he decided to take one of some of the basic themes and some of that basic sense, that sense of mood, and translate it into something new. And I, I value what the film did because I appreciated exactly... I appreciated everything that they were doing in the in how can I how can I put this it's it, if uh this is a very very hard film to even discuss because a lot of my feelings on it are just they're just feelings it's a way that it made me feel um it's a mood piece it's a very much a mood piece it's a mood piece more than it is a movie in a lot of ways uh, well I I don't know I don't know if I would agree with going that far because I think that it did it it ha the film has more of a narrative than the book does, or at least as far as the first installment. Um, I think that if they had had a little bit more faith in it and a little bit, and if audiences were a little bit more receptive, I think that it could have made a really interesting trilogy, or perhaps even maybe adapt the three books into something like a miniseries, and that would have worked. It just would have required a lot of patience on the part of the viewer, which I don't think that a lot of modern audiences have. Um, and that's just... You can't tell me that, that modern audiences don't have patience when Game of Thrones is as big as it is. Well, I feel... It, obviously, you haven't followed Game of Thrones discourse and the argument over, this season is too slow! Nothing happened! Um, because... Those people are also impatient. When is she gonna cross the ocean? Sorry, I'm like I get salty whenever I think about not Game of Thrones, but Game of Thrones fans. Um, but this is one of those films that ultimately I feel like the changes that were made were for the better in terms of making it a film. If they had kept it the way that it was, it would have been something else entirely. And I think that in trying to stay faithful to the book, it wouldn't have been as strong a 
film or as strong a piece of filmed media even if they had made a tv show that was very faithful i don't think it would have been it would have lived up to what the book was trying to do because i don't think that you can do that in a filmed well, medium surrealist well. fiction is much different than a surrealist movie yeah it, it is and you and part of what's so interesting about the books is trying to in your mind's eye put together what the uh, what these mutations and these anomalies within the confines of area x look so like i'd like to i'd like to talk more about that because mm -hmm. what had uh both hooked me and frustrated me about the movie is the whole pretext that it's it's accelerated lateral evolution mm -hmm. going on inside of area x that's what they discovered but what that implied outside of the fungal man which was a absolutely disgusting and horrifying set piece that i could not look away from because it was so uh wonderfully executed about how horrifying this place is and the horrifying potential of what's happening in there that was never then really explored with the same visceral mm -hmm. lens after that well it's like as i was reading I was in the original novel you there's really only one creature that appears throughout the course of the right, book the and crawler. that's the, the one referred to as the crawler and what I ref, what I visualized it in my mind was this idea of sort of a gelatinous morphing blob of what was of genetic material and in my mind like th there was something terrifying about that in the way that it was described and like the way that Vandermeer described like the just the sorrowful moaning of what obviously had been like a, a mutation that had been drawn out by area x and that was that was you know terrifying in my mind's eye and i was wondering what they were going to do with that on the film and we do not get the crawler in the adaptation at all instead we get something that like has plagued my nightmares since i saw the film and that is what i'm just referring to as the mutated terror bear from hell and if you if you haven't seen the film and um i it's, it's funny because my wife hasn't got a chance to see it yet. She didn't go with me. And she keeps saying that she wants to go see it because it looks really, really interesting. But she's also not keen on uh, elements that are overly terrifying. So it's one of those things where I know that if I take her there, she's going to have nightmares about that bear for long after but she leaves the theater. Because it was frightening. Even the terror bear, as frightening as it was, though, didn't twist my stomach the same way that the fungal man did. Really? I think that's... It's... I, I didn't have the same... Like, my my imagination, as soon as we kind of found out what was really going on in there, that it was, again, this, the prism of DNA, my imagination just started reeling on into the Cronenberg territory. Yeah. And it was more horrifying. My, mem my, my imagination was more grotesque and horrific than what they ultimately ended up going with. And I understand... That Garland's whole deal is that he mixes like B-movie sci-fi schlock with really heady concepts. Mm -hmm. Something that I thought he did extremely well in Sunshine, which he wrote, didn't direct. Something that he did well in, in Ex Machina, which he directed and wrote. But this, I don't feel like he struck that balance nearly as well. And I found that my reaction and that my horror was something more 
internal than anything that the movie invoked after that point. Right. And one of the things that I brought up before we started recording the show was the idea that ultimately this is do not, you know, do not mistake me for a second. This is a powerful piece of science fiction and I feel like it achieves everything that I like out of good heady sci-fi, but at the same time, the film, the script that we're working with, it didn't necessarily have to be a science fiction film to achieve some of the themes that are present in the movie. Because largely, the film is more a mediation on the idea that self-destruction and the and decay is hardwired into our genetic structure, into our DNA. Um, Natalie Portman plays a biologist who studies the idea of cancer cells. Um, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting was uh, throughout the film in the flashback segments, whenever she's with her husband, they're reading a copy of uh, The Immortal Life of Henri Henrietta yep. Lacks, which I noticed that that's, you know, it's definitely something that was kind of a they paid attention to the way that they want to talk about science fiction and science and all of this sort of good stuff that deals with that genre. But at the same time, if you wanted to make a mediation on the human condition and how we are hardwired to self-destruct, um, it didn't have to be a sci-fi film. It could have been a, any sort of, I mean, Natalie Portman is ex-military. She could have embarked on a mission that had nothing to do with science fiction genre elements. As long as it's a suicide mission, you can accomplish the same thematic elements. Um, it's just that toying around with the idea of it's hardwired into our DNA that really pushed it into sci-fi territory. And one of the things that I found that was really, really interesting about the film was the way that they played with little elements, just almost little Easter eggs that gave you an indication of what Area X really is. And one of the things that I do love about the, the, the novel series is that and this isn't really a spoiler, but unlike the film, we do not know the genesis of Area X as originally written in the books. In the film version, we know that it's an extraterrestrial, it's a um, it's a meteorite that strikes the lighthouse. And in the original ending that was excised, more meteorites hit. Yeah. So it goes a little bit more basic sci-fi route by saying, you know, it's the thing from outer space. Um, in the books, the theme is the idea that it doesn't really matter where Area X comes from. That's not the that's not the point of the series. The point of the series is how you deal with the idea of change and how you deal with the idea of your, you know, everything that makes you you shifting and changing and and evolving and devolving and decaying and all of that good stuff. The book it's... reminded me a lot of a, of a hard sci-fi version of House of Leaves. I would see that. I would see that. And whereas I feel like the, uh, I mean, and obviously there's a lot, there's a lot of an, in, there's a lot of an influence in what we see in it. There's obviously things that are taken from things like Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now, that sort of Pokemon, Pokemon. Lord in heaven. You can't tell me that those really aren't just Grim I mean, and gritty Pokemon. I mean, I, I, I read that article, and it's hooey. It's a bunch of hooey. I had thought that before that article happened. <sighs> but it's... This is one of those movies that I... I legitimately love it because of 
how it plays with the tropes of an of an established genre, the idea of venturing into the strange unknown and finding things that are beyond what we would consider to be normal comprehension, um, but also in the idea that it does some things that most mainstream films are not willing to do. And I did like that the climax was just so mind-numbingly weird. The choreography was beautiful, by the way. And it's it's one of those things where I, I I like the thematic weight of it. I like the you can I like the idea that it raises a whole lot of questions as to you know what is it that returned from the the giant bubble of Area X? What was it that made its way back? Um, does it matter? That sort of thing, because. They get into that really hardcore in the third book of the series, and it goes in a completely it goes in a completely different and yet totally similar direction as the film. Um, but it's it's definitely something that I looked at, and this is a this is a film that has a lot to say about a lot of things. Um, there were there were certain things that I picked up on along the way that I, I really need to go back and have a second look at this film, just because. I want to see how it ties into the greater ideas of what it was trying to say. Like the idea of the like lateral genetic mutation, the idea of things taking on the properties of other, um, of other things. It was like the, um, the tattoo that starts appearing on Natalie Portman's arm right. that um, was taken from another, uh, that was taken off of another one of the team members. It started showing up on all their arms. The idea that there was an interconnectivity to it, that none of them could truly escape from it. And it was funny because when I was reading the, uh, when I was reading the novel, there's a, there's a part of the novel that gets completely excised and it's the idea of going down into the tunnel. Right. They, they combine the tunnel with the lighthouse. They combine the tunnel with the lighthouse and the tunnel, whenever I, read whenever i read the book i was thinking how do you visually convey the idea of this like near hallucinatory idea of the walls moving and things like that and i just couldn't imagine it without it looking hokey right and so the interpretation that we got in the film that was something it was just something like psychedelics by way of hr geiger um that really resonated with me and it's it's funny because Looking at the book, I considered it to be, I'm not going to say unfilmable, I hate that word, I'm not going to use that word, but it is something that is difficult to translate or difficult to adapt to a different type of well, medium. Well, the story is of its medium. Yeah, it's definitely of its medium, but even the visuals are so open to interpretation. And one of the things that I really did notice as I walked out of the theater after seeing Annihilation is that, I, you know, I believe th there's a lot of different schools of thought whenever it comes to how you direct a film uh, you you hear a lot of uh, a lot of talk about how you know so and so is an actor's director you know or so and so is a director's director i believe that alex garland is above and like above and beyond and first and foremost i believe that he is a an author's director because he comes from a background of writing fiction he comes from a background of show don't tell and I feel like this was very much a show-don't-tell movie. It was something where a lot of it is left up to the interpretation of the of the audience itself. Especially the ending. Especially the ending. And it's it's 
I have to ask because the whole the whole point the whole catalyst for the story is that uh, Natalie Portman is married to a special a special op soldier who is sent into Area X to investigate, and he disappears for a year and mysteriously reappears and. Uh, things are wrong. He is distant, he is detached, and he's coughing up blood like nobody's business. He's obviously been through some sort of an ordeal, and his body is reacting to his time in this strange From place. What I understand, his organs are all starting to fail. Yeah, his, his, his organs are starting in to fail. In the book, it was cancer. In the book, it was cancer. Everyone who goes into uh, Area X gets the cancer. Only only the 11th Expedition. Yeah, well, only the... well. Mm. No, okay. There's that's kind of a plot point, um, and it has to do with uh, some weird shenanigans. But look, it's not a spoiler if it's on the the actual like book description. So yeah, the eleventh, the eleventh yeah, one, like the all, everyone from the eleventh expedition comes back with cancer, and they all die after eleven uh, eleven months. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's he comes back and he's uh, basically going into organ failure, and Natalie Portman agrees to go in to kind of figure out what it is that's you know happening here. She's a biologist; she can help. Um, and one of the things that I really, really enjoyed about the film is that they give you some they give you a lot of ambiguity, but they also give you enough they give you enough room that they give you enough t enough text evidence that within that ambiguity you can make any sort of bold <laughs> statement right. that you want because towards the end then this is where we get into spoilers it turns out that there are uh whatever it is that's creating area x is creating doppelgangers that it whenever they encounter whatever it is that's creating area x it mimics and creates doppelgangers and it has less to do with it being an evil entity and more to do with the fact that it's confused about its surroundings and doing it's absorbing. It, it's absorbing what it sees and tries to understand it. Right. So it's not. It's not doing so maliciously. It's trying to adapt to its surroundings, and so the, its way of doing so is obviously something that's far beyond human Im imagination and capability. So when when you wa when you watched the film, what was your understand like? Oscar Isaac's character, the one that made it out of Area X. Do you do you believe that to be the original or the copy? I think they made a pretty. A pretty obvious case that it was the copy. What did it? See, I but see. I think the opposite. I, I think that you could also make a very compelling case for it to be the original see, with amnesia. The the reason that I believe it to be the uh the the, the original that made it out of Area X is at the, at the end. Uh, Natalie Portman encounters a camcorder that shows the last moments of of her husband, and he basically commits suicide by self emolution by. Popping uh, the top on a uh, phosphorus, phosphorus grenade. grenade. Yep. But the the person who pulls the tab uh, gives a monologue, and the first thing he says is, "I thought I was Kane," which is Oscar Isaac's character. And I think this is that entity, that copy, coming to terms with the fact that it was a copy, that it wasn't real, that it was a. But at the same time, they a, also that it was a facsimile. That it was a facsimile. They also established that being inside of it, though still messed with your head and made you question reality. So, I mean, I think you could make an argument either way. And I feel like the same thing could be said about Natalie Portman coming out of there as well. Everyone was kind of like, oh, see, she's the doppelganger. But maybe not. I think that well, that's the that's the ambiguity. And that's ambiguity that I'm okay with. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And I think that it's fun to kind of debate those things because in the novelization, the two characters are... Uh, they're estranged, not necessarily because in the film, Natalie Portman is having an affair. Uh, in the book, it's just they're growing apart. It's differences. It's that idea of human nature. Sometimes relationships drift. 
And thematically, I like what they did in the film because it's set up to the point where whenever, whenever Oscar Isaac's character leaves, it's ostensibly because of what, uh, of what he found out about Natalie Portman. He left and because he wanted to go and it, he knew it was a suicide mission. The idea that um, the psychologist kind of puts in everybody's head is that, you know, it's like nobody has a, nobody has a reason to come back from there. Um, the only, and that's the only reason that Natalie Portman makes it out in the end is because she's the only reason she's the only one with a reason to get back because she believes her husband to be on the other side, which makes me even more believe that it was the original and not the copy that made it out. And one of the things that I find interesting is the idea that if we're looking at it from a relationship standpoint, thematically, the idea is that when Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaac reconnect at the end of the film, he is so fundamentally changed by what happened, uh, what happened in area X. And she is so fundamentally changed by what happened in there that there can be a new beginning for both of them. And I think that, that that's, that's my thematic takeaway from that. And I think that that's, what's really interesting about this film is that, you know, all the weirdness and all the sci-fi elements and everything as wonderful as that stuff is. And as much as it's fun to think about the idea of, you know, what would it really mean to a society if we encountered the idea of, you know, crossbred genetic mutations and things like that. And, you know, the idea that there's this, this weird ability of genetics to take on a life of its own. That's all very well and good. But at the same time, the thing that makes interesting stories is the human element, what we learn about ourselves. And so I think this, I, the, the centralized theme of self-destruction is really what drew me into the film. It's one that's on surface, it feels almost disconnected from emotion, but at the, at, you know, at the end of the day, it's actually very much a film that has an emotional core which wasn't what I was expecting whenever I walked in, given the source material, which feels very detached. It's and, much more clinical. Yeah, it's v and one of the things that I, I'll say is that um, the film did something um, which I felt like they kind of had to do in that they gave everybody a personality, a distinct, very vivid personality. And a name. And a name. Although the names don't really matter in the end. Right. Really. It's... It, they... It's... Again, just like the book, it's their function, except instead of their function within terms of what they bring to the team, in the film, their function is what is their trauma. They also exchange the surveyor for the paramedic. Yeah. Because I, and I think that's because they excise the idea of the topographical anomaly. Right. So they didn't need that. Um, but it's one of those things where they made a change that was thematically in line with what they were doing. And... You know, we've we've talked about how you know sci-fi has this in, innate ability to really thematically stretch itself. One of the things that I love about about really good sci-fi, and it doesn't matter if it's low grade or you know top of the line, it usually has something very very interesting and very very poignant to say about the idea of the human condition. So if you go back to something like even the idea of like one of my favorite films of all time is the original Alien. Okay, that idea of the fact that I mean that's a strong, we will always be under the boot of capitalism type <laughs> thematic film. It's you know the working class are always the ones who are deemed expendable by the ruling class. That's a very heady theme to be handled by something that is ostensibly a horror movie in space. Right. And then you that same theme is carried over to the you know 
military industrial complex whenever you go to aliens and then it carries over into the idea of the disenfranchised with prisoners in alien three well, alien, alien resurrection has no theme <laughs> and then you get to alien versus predator where the whole theme is wouldn't it be cool if these two toys that you played with as a kid got mashed together on screen yeah that and it's i feel like that is probably why i am drawn to difficult sci-fi sometimes because I like the idea of having to work through things. I like the idea of having to like knock my head against the side of a table a few times before I can say that I truly understand or appreciate it. That's why I really enjoyed Ex Machina. Oh yeah, Ex Machina is great and it'll make a great double feature with Annihilation one day. That'll be something that I would sit down and watch back to back and just yeah, pour over. I think you were a lot warmer on Annihilation than I was. Because I think I think that's true. We had spoken think... earlier about how, while I appreciate that Alex Garland likes to uh, kind of merge B-movie and more cerebral, I guess, uh, elements together, I don't feel like he leaned into either enough. I feel like he leaned pretty heavy into the heady element of sci-fi, the more, like... Th the innate beauty of weirdness that is sci-fi. I don't think that he leaned into the shock element. Obviously, there's, like, the idea of, oh, cross-breeded monsters! Like, that's very schlocky. But at the same time, it was done to achieve a goal that, to me, was a little bit more highbrow. So it didn't come off as being B-movie the way that it could have. See, I guess maybe I failed to get to a meditative state over it which may have been my failing as a viewer I don't think versus I don't, I don't Garland's think... failing as a storyteller uh, because, like I said, to me, I heard it and I was like, oh, basically this is uh, a tardigrade on a very large scale. Well, it's and, and it's it's funny because um, there's, there's been so many good articles written about this film, and I linked to a bunch of them on the blog in case you're looking for more reading to do. And one of the ones that I found really, really interesting is the parallels between this and uh, Tarkovsky's The Stalker, which is, I, I have not seen that film because the only Tarkovsky I'm familiar with is Solaris. And I could definitely see the Solaris influence on this a lot. Especially when we get towards the end, mm -hmm. just even even just the visuals. and the It was kind of like Solaris meets House of Leaves to me. And somebody pointed out the end that whenever she is on the beach approaching the lighthouse, that the um, crystalline effects growing out of the beach um, are representative of the idea of uh, synapses firing in the brain. Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but you're right. It's it's there's some there's so much visual storytelling within this film that I want to go back and revisit <laughs> um, the idea that the tattoo that is sh that shows up on the forum of Natalie Portman is an Ouroboros. The idea of the snake eating the tail. Right. The idea of well, it's not only an Ouroboros; it's an infinity. Infin yeah, it's the, an infinity Ouroboros. Yeah, the idea of nothing. The idea of nothing ever truly ending. It's just a constant refracted cycle, and so it's it ties back to the beginning whenever she shows the video of the cancer cell in her lecture constantly dividing and expanding and multiplying it's this is a if i look at science fiction films sometimes the thematic elements do not hit the target and sometimes it's more like there's a very large target and the director and the writer are are flipping arrows at it and they're all over the place like i loved uh both prometheus and alien covenant i loved both of them but i can't say that they are thematically sound 
in any way, shape, or form. There's some thematic resonance, but it also seems self uh, self contradictory in a lot of ways. And I feel like Annihilation had a very very straightforward thematic through line, and it's it's not even a very subtle one because they kind of bring it out there. The idea that it's human nature, psychologically and genetically, that we are trying to destroy ourselves. And that is, that's something that we see in non-science fiction films all the time. This just used a different medium or a different genre to try to explore that theme. Right, they just kind of used our the biological inevitabilities as the, the starting point. Yeah, and... There, but I mean, we, we are psycho... Maybe we're psychologically... Predisposition toward self-destruction because we're biologically predisposed to that. Yeah, we're, we're born we, to die. Well, yeah, we uh, and there have been discussions about whether is uh, the idea of our bodies breaking down and decaying and just the idea of aging is that a flaw in our genetic system or is that or is that meaningful? Is that something that? needs to exist to keep the universe in balance. You know, the idea of, you know, energy and matter and all of this weird stuff that, you know, I am never going to be able to fully understand because I'm, I've got a small little writer's pea brain. You know, it's, it's one of those things that I like to think about, but I'm never going to have really good answers for. And that's... I, don't know. I don't plan to die. I just plan to go to San Junipero. <laughs> Upload my brain to the cloud. And it's it's one i i love the idea of examining human ideas through extraterrestrial through an extraterrestrial lens because i like to th i like to think about you know the universe as a whole think about all the possibilities that are out there and the fact that um you know there's there's no way of really knowing all there is to the universe and there's no knowing even even within our own little microcosm of human existence on Earth, what would, uh, you know, what we are or what that or what we're expected to be or all of those weird things. And it goes back to one of the articles I was reading. There was a quote from a film that talked about, um, you know, something about, you know, have you ever heard of ant politics? No, you haven't. But that's maybe just because we do not have the we are so beyond that that we can't understand what's going on down there. And who's to say that there isn't something out there in the universe that views us the same way that we view ants? How very end of Men in Black of you. I completely forgot about that film. And it's mm -hmm. weird because today the news came out that they're trying to cast Chris Hemsworth in the reboot, which as long as he's not playing the straight man, I am okay with, honestly. You need to make him a Kevin. Yes. Forever Kevin. Hashtag... Kevin for life. And it, it, it's hashtag Kevin never leave us. Weird and weird weird side note about uh, Ghostbusters was one of those films that I did not care for it. Ultimately, I felt like it had more flaws than good. There was a lot to like in it, but Chris Hemsworth proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is one of those guys who, if you put him in something and just let him go, let him be himself, it's money. Now that may wear thin over time, but you can trace a direct line from what he was doing in that to something like Thor Ragnarok. And I absolutely adore Thor Ragnarok. Oh, uh, Ragnarok is my favorite of the explicitly comedic Marvel movies. And what's funny about Thor Ragnarok is 
I consider that to be sci-fi. I mean, it is. People, like, so many... Why wouldn't it be? Is it because it's a comedy? Yeah, I've had people argue with me that it's not sci-fi because it's too comedic. What did they think of Guardians of the Galaxy? Because Guardians of the Galaxy was also explicitly a comedy. They also said Guardians of the Galaxy was not sci-fi. Did they realize that it can be both? That's what I feel like a lot of people don't get. We, you know, we did a whole episode about tone and science fiction can be anything, and science fiction can be Annihilation, or science fiction can be Guardians of the Galaxy, and those two things are not mutually exclusive. Um, like going back to Alex Garland, uh, Sunshine is mostly sci-fi. It's also horror. Mm-hmm. It's also a thriller. It's so many different things, and I stand by my assertion that sci-fi is the most versatile genre in the whole of existence and it's I would love to see a greater appreciation for the value of sci-fi and it's funny because this year seems to be a good year for sci-fi we were talking about that earlier how many movies on our docket are science fiction and not necessarily by choice it's by it's just what's, by, what's coming it's just out what's coming out and I saw there was a there was a um a trailer that came out today for a film that I really want to see called uh the endless which it looks amazing apparently whenever it debuted at a film festival not too far back it just blew everyone's minds and i'm just wondering where are what is it that's drawing everybody to writing these really interesting really really intricate idea sci-fi ideas i'm wondering if maybe something about the time period that we live in if there's the idea that it's that has drawn out like this resurgence of sci-fi as a genre i don't know i think too things come in cycles as well. And I think that sci-fi, a lot of it, there, there's also, when giant strides are made in technology, then comes giant strides in our social structure. And then comes the sci-fi to kind of reflect on that. And it's funny because that you talked about cycles, which ties into the thematic elements of Annihilation, but cycles in Hollywood are largely based off of what sells, what makes money. But science fiction isn't necessarily setting the box office on fire because it's sci-fi. And yet I'm seeing a resurgence of the genre across the board in television, in, uh, in you know, in fiction, in, you know, at, you know, at the theaters. Special it's, effects have also caught up, too. I feel, like the, I feel like a lot of it has to do with special effects. And, you know, I, I say that, but at the same time, I, I feel like I'm kind of contradicting myself because one of the biggest movies of all time was Jurassic World, which ostensibly sci-fi. Let's not let's not try to mince words and say that using genetic mutation to create a monster is not sci-fi. Just because it's a tentpole action film doesn't also mean that it's well, sci-fi. Literally playing around with DNA is and and body parts and structure is how science fiction began because Frankenstein. Yeah. And I So and it's I, I I love sci-fi. I don't want to come off as like I'm going to turn this into the sci- the science fiction power hour. That's not what I want to do. Um, although it's 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 kind of not becoming that. It's becoming it's that com- organically, organically because that's what's that's what's being in- entered into the public sphere. Whether the creators realize it or not, this is like a year for sci-fi. See, the two movies that we've covered so far that weren't sci-fi were Proud Mary and Polka King. Mm-hmm. Has everything else been sci-fi? Black Panther. Black Panther is an Afrofuturist sci-fi masterpiece. Black Panther is sci-fi. I mean, it works within sci it works within sci-fi uh trappings, but I don't consider it to be a science fiction film because 
the plot isn't driven by the technolo technological elements that I normally see. The, the plot is driven by the ideology surrounding the technological elements. Yes and no, because I feel like, well, I guess just Shuri alone makes it a sci-fi mm -hmm. film. <laughs> I, I guess... But they're, they're, the entire question, the entire... Uh, battle between T'Challa and Killmonger is all about what do we do with this tech that we have? I guess I guess I will. I, what I is will our what I will is our, concede yeah. the point on that. Thing. What is our responsibility with the technology that we've been given? I will concede the point on that. I really will. Um, even to the point that I think that something like, I mean, The Incredible Hulk and Iron Man are also both science fiction films. And the idea that they're largely based around their tech. thats I guess I'm, I'm leaning into that, like, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk idea of the technology has to drive the narrative for me to feel like it's sci-fi. Well, and Iron Man also has a lot to do with the military-industrial complex. Yeah. And I, I, feel like, I feel like that's... My brain was just kind of... It's one of those things that I'm trying to get out of. I, I don't like to put things into a box. I don't, hey, look, like, we all we all have our derpy moments. I had mine at the beginning of the show, and now I'm an eloquent and masterful speaker yeah. toward the ending. Yeah, and we're just only, making a it switch. It only took you 43 minutes, but it's, hey, <laughs> and I feel like comic books in general largely skew towards the science fiction heavy. Um, even. I, I mean, Batman wouldn't be able to do what he was able to, what he's able to do without the massive amount of technology that he utilizes. I know that it's just a lot of, he's just a man in a suit. Yeah, but he also has a multi-million dollar tech corporation at his disposal. Like, let's not forget the uh, wonderful contributions that Lucius Fox has made to his empire, you know? Um, I really, I just really appreciate sci-fi as a genre and things like Annihilation, even if you didn't appreciate it, you have to really uh you really have to sit back and admire the fact that films like this really don't get released in wide they don't get a wide release that often or at least they haven't usually whenever you see films that are this kind of off the wall they don't get the wider appreciation that something like this seems to be getting at least from the from the public at large um I feel like film critics love stuff like this. The critical community will just you know, applaud this until the cows come home, but usually you don't hear much about it. You don't hear much about it being talked about by your everyday people where... See, I saw Ex Machina talked more. Yeah. Talked about more. Thank you, Alex Garland. And that one... Was that one... How many Academy Award nominations did that one get? I don't know if the I feel I feel like it got I feel like it got like two or three Academy Award nominations. I'm probably a terrible film commentator because I honestly don't care about the Oscars. Neither do I, honestly. Which is why it's coming up on Sunday and we don't Sunday. even not, have yeah, like predictions or anything cuz cuz I don't I care. Don't, I don't care. I really I, don't care. I just want good things for Jordan Peele. Yeah. If That's if, my... if, Jor if Jordan Peele and Get Out win some awards, it will make me immensely happy. But it's not something that I'm not going to sit down and watch the Academy Awards. I haven't for a few years now, just because I don't agree with the politics of it. I don't agree with a lot of their choices. It's just something that doesn't do anything I for me. I did agree with Moonlight, however. Moonlight was incredible. Oh yeah, I mean that deserved that deserved to win. And it's one of those things where, like, next year, whenever we start talking about awards contenders, there's a lot of things that I'd like to be thrown into contention that are probably going to be um, 
completely overlooked. Like, this movie will probably be completely overlooked even in the technical categories just because of the time in which it's released. Same thing with... Um, to get some uh, good sound design. Another film that we reviewed that was not science fiction, uh, Hostels. Oh, is, right, right. It's not going to get any contention next year because it was released in the dead zone. Of It was too late to really get on the ballot and too early for next year. So it's going to be one of those movies that's kind of overlooked. Um, We're also completely ignoring... That there needs that the next time they reboot Predator, which will probably be in a few years. Oh no, it's that, coming out in September. I know. I'm after that. They're going to re probably reboot it after that. The endless cycle of Predator reboots. Oh, I know about that one. I'm probably going to see it because it's Shane Black and yeah, we'll he's we're gonna definitely going to cover that. But uh, no, when, once they inevitably reboot it for the five thousandth time, uh, Gina Rodriguez must be the lead. I know, and I I love. Gina Rodriguez, and I, I'm so happy because I saw today on Twitter that she's going to be on Brooklyn Nine-Nine playing <laughs> Stephanie Beatrice's girlfriend, yep. which we've been lobbying for forever, and I am here for it. I love Stephanie Beatrice, too. I know. And Did you see she went as a, as Miss America for Halloween? Yeah, she went, as, she went as America Chavez. I love it. I love it. And it, she, she's one of those actresses that I, I will support anything that she does. She's uh, from Friendswood, too. I know. She's a local lady. Yeah, I know. She, like, she comes back to Houston on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. It's going to be one of those things where if, uh, if she makes it into town and we can kidnap her for this show, we will definitely make that happen. I Probably just, need to use a different word other than kidnapping, Jake. We're on the Abscond air. with. We will ask her politely. <laughs> I'm just, well, we could always do uh, what hasn't worked for us with Stephen King and just, like, utilize the secret and put that energy out into the universe. Um, but that's not going to work. I, I, it's, I, uh, there's a lot of people that I would love to talk to because I think they, they have interesting perspectives on media that just... I do not have that perspective just because of where I like my upbringing and where I grew up and how I consume media. Oh, I just want Gina Rodriguez to come in here and start talking about how she should be in Predator. And the thing is, she could she could pull that off so readily. She's she's a very versatile actress who I think over time is going to get so much recognition more than she's getting right she now. She deserves to be a household name. I she think. really does. It was also very good to see Jennifer Jason Lee show up. I know I love Jennifer Jason. She's Lee. great. Going back going back to like the early '90s and all of her association with like uh, the Coen Brothers and Sam Raimi. There, uh, Noah Baumbach. Yeah, they, like there's just like one of my favorite one of my favorite movies of all time and it's we, people look at me weird when i say this but one of my favorite movies of all time is the hudsucker proxy <laughs> you know for kids you know for kids that it's and that movie would not have worked without jennifer jason lee and it wouldn't have worked without tim robbins just the delivery that they gave to that script was perfect and jennifer jason lee is one of those actresses who comes in and just absolutely nails it every single freaking time she's to my knowledge i've never seen anything that she's done that was a bad performance she was excellent in playing kind of an evasive eerie type here yeah. very very good for her she's she's got such versatility and that's something i'd like to see a little more from her without sacrificing her her prodigious talents. And what's funny is that the way that she played the uh, the psychologist in this film, I wonder if she had gone and read the entire the entirety of the books because it was very much in line with my perception of how that character behaved when she was fully fleshed out through the rest of the series. Um, it's Again, one of those things where I don't think they could adapt it faithfully and have it live up, but had they gone through the entirety of her arc, it would have been amazing to see her carry that narrative. If we're going to have to go back to the Marvel movie well, 
if they hadn't cast Kate Blanchett as Hela in Ragnarok, Jennifer Jason Lee probably would have been a pretty good Hela. Yeah. There there are so many people that I am just I'm waiting for their opportunity. I'm waiting for them to get into I'm waiting for them to get their Marvel movie. That's what I'm waiting for. And I'm eventually on a long enough timeline, everyone gets into a Marvel movie. Wait, even us? Eventually they're going to be so hard up for talent yes. that we're going to end up somewhere. I don't know like I don't know what character I would fit. You're obviously Paste Pot Pete. Okay, I would love to play either Paste Pot Pete, Four Bushman, Stilt Man, <laughs> like Frogman? Um I would like to voice uh, the Frog of Thunder. I could do that. There's there's so many things. You would be a good porcupine if someone ever did Spider-Woman. I could see the that. The Dennis that, Hopeless version. That would be, you were made be to be porcupine. You were made to that. be porcupine. I would have so <laughs> much fun with that. <laughs> oh, I just jinxed you, though, because Kevin Feige never cast anyone who asks. I'm sorry. I'm not, I mean, I'm not asking for it, but if he, <laughs> if he needs somebody, I am available. Uh, and... It's funny, you know, talking about uh, about science fiction and tying this into Marvel really, really quick. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which upon rewatch, I liked a lot better than I thought I did, um, leaned crazy into the uh, science fiction fantasy side mm -hmm. of sci-fi. And I really, really hope that... James Gunn leans even harder into it for volume three and just goes for broke. Because one of the things that I, that I really want to see more of in my, in my media consumption is bravery. And one of the things that I will say about Annihilation is I feel like this movie was gutsy in a lot of ways. Oh, it was, it was definitely a, a darker and edgier wuzzles. Because I, I mean, I don't think that, you know, anybody else, I don't think that you don't often see films that take that dramatic of a shift in the third act. And that's uh, like we, we brought up Sunshine earlier. Sunshine, yeah. Sunshine does that dramatic turn to the third act. Yeah. I, it's I kind of like, Alex Garland's thing. I feel like it is. I feel like it's kind of a it, thing. Ex Machina was pretty similar, too. Yeah. And, it's you know, I don't know if that's just a, he enjoys that type of structure or what it is. But I don't know. The third act genre shift it's kind of becoming his uh shylamon twist oh. uh anyway <laughs> um so as we uh as we get a chance to wrap things up uh next week we're going to be talking about uh duncan jones's mute which dropped on netflix it's getting all it's controversial to say the least in terms of reception but i feel like we're gonna have a really good discussion about it i'm sure we were we already had a pretty good preliminary discussion about it and we haven't even seen the film yet so <laughs> lord knows that it's only going to get better from there and then the week after that we're doing a wrinkle in time so the sci-fi <sighs> parade continues yeah i've been rereading the book i reread i actually i didn't reread i read the book for the first oh, time um this year which gives me a very, very unique perspective to judge the film. Right. Because well, for a lot of people, for you, mm -hmm. I know it's a childhood touchstone. And I feel like with you, you have your perspective to look at that, whereas I am looking at it from the perspective of someone who I was looking at it as a both a student and a teacher of literature. And there was a lot that I loved about that book. Oh, did I? I, I was like, this. there's a reason that this is a hallmark of children's mm -hmm. literature. I really get it. And then there were other things that I'm like, I need to see how they handle this particular page on film because I find it 
interesting and confusing and a little bit outside of what I would consider to be um, workable. You know, so I'm I, I'm really looking forward to that discussion. We got a, a good couple of weeks, um, especially leading up to Infinity War, which just got pushed back a week. So right. we get to see that early. I'm very very more sci-fi. Yeah, more and giant thumb man comes down from the sky. The giant the the thumb alien, and he looks like a thumb. And here's the thing, I've gotten onto Marvel plenty of times for the sky portal oh 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 um so i'm pretty sure that i'm gonna have some salt to throw down whenever that movie comes out but for right now i really am looking forward to it mostly because i want to see more of the black panther crew <laughs> honestly i i feel like that's the only reason i'm looking forward to infinity war now because we're getting I mean, T'Challa back, we're getting Okoye back, we're getting Nakia back, we're getting Shuri back. I think we're getting M'Baku back. Mm -hmm. M'Baku was awesome! But the other, the other thing is, like, I legitimately, no joke, really, really, really like Captain America. Like, as a character. And I want to see a resolution to his arc. Did so, you see that uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates is going to be writing Captain America now? Yes, I did. I am super duper excited. And they are making the... Uh, Captain America Peggy Carter from Marvel Puzzle Quest. Uh, comics canon now. Yeah. Because she's been in the game for a, yeah, a long she's time. Getting her but... own, she's getting the title. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, I thought that maybe I'd be able to start reading Amazing Spider-Man again because Dan Slott is leaving with uh, issue 701. But they're replacing him with Nick Spencer. So that whole title can take a dive down a very deep well. Not getting it. Um, if we're talking about problematic media, I'm pretty sure that Nick Spencer falls very much near the top of that list. Um, don't tell Joe I said that. Um, anyway, uh, that pretty much wraps it up for this show. Um, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate everything that our listeners have been doing, supporting us over the last few weeks. Yes, it's you been, guys have been awesome. You guys have been great. We really appreciate you turning, uh, tuning in, uh, following along, all that sort of good Dude, stuff. My, my mom listens to every show, and she sends me text messages throughout. So she actually told me that people have, uh, with, with a wrinkle in time coming out that kids are really excited and now asking for the book more often. That's great. And they're not only reading the first book, but they're reading the, the series because they're asking great. for it. So, well, if you want to follow more of us, you can follow me on Twitter. I am at Am I Writer Wrong. Uh, that's also my Instagram. The show Instagram is, excuse me, at Pop and Schlock Live. You can follow us on Twitter at Pop Schlock uh, at Pop Schlock Pod. Meredith, where are you at? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter under my real name, Meredith Nudo, M-E-R-E-D-I-T-H-N-U-D-O. You can also find me on Facebook on my public-facing page at Hardcore Nudo T, H-A-R-D-C-O-R-E-N-U-D-O-T-Y, and my website, HardcoreNudoT.com, H-A-R-D-C-O-R-E-N-U-D-O-T-Y.com. See, when you have a, when you have a, a pun... You have to spell it out. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But thank you again for listening. We will see you next week. Thank you. Have a great weekend.